0: Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Good afternoon and welcome. You found Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Elizabeth Wharton, and while I'm an attorney with Hall Booth Smith in Atlanta, I must give the usual disclaimer that I am not your attorney. This is not legal advice, and especially today as we have another attorney who will be joining us to talk about some of the issues with the Internet of Things and your devices as they leak your data. But first, a warm welcome to everyone for tuning in. You can catch up on prior shows and really hear the first part of this conversation through AmericasWebRadio.com, the Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz program page. So last show... We were talking about the devices that we all have, from our Wi-Fi-connected cars to our cell phones to our Fitbits. Even our coffee makers these days are connected to the Internet, are sending and transmitting little bits and packages of information. And part of that, first of all, think of it as two different avenues or two different aspects one you have the communications the data the information itself and picture that as going back to snail mail terms think of that as a handwritten letter a card you put it in an envelope and that envelope itself that exterior covering serves as directions it includes address you know the stamp telling the sender where where to deliver it how to deliver it That outer shell envelope is the metadata. So when your devices are leaking this information or sending it, or sending your emails even, there's the outer shell, the envelope, the metadata that's seeping through these communications, as well as the interior communication itself, that data, that information. So excited to welcome to the show today two different experts to give us one the all right, so what expectations of privacy? what how can this information, this data that's seeping out of my devices be used against me or for me from a legal perspective? So we're going to welcome Katherine Bernard, a criminal defense and public uh, defender with state of Georgia. And we're also going to bring in Rob Graham, the CEO and co-founder of errata Security as well as just general expert. I can't go through all of his uh, different accomplishments in this area, but Rob's gonna share with us some thoughts on really a a fix it guide on are there ways we can minimize this information? Uh, Are we, can we mask it? What can we do as consumers and users of this technology to protect ourselves? So again, welcome to everyone for joining us again we we'll buzz off with lawyer liz and let's just jump right in so catherine are you on the line and welcome and thank you for joining us
2: i am very glad to be here liz thanks so much for having me on the show
1: Absolutely, and I can't do justice to, and pun intended, all the different projects you have going on. In addition to your day-to-day courtroom activities, I think it's fair to, and probably cutting it a little short to say that you are a constitutional scholar, but uh, really you're doing a lot in the justice system if you want to share a little bit about that background and some of those projects.
2: Thank you, Liz. I I appreciate that. And I am a public defender. I spend time all around the courts of Georgia defending people who are indigent, not able to afford a lawyer. And that's given me a perspective on the justice system that I just didn't have during law school and when I worked for one of the big firms downtown. And that has led me to get involved in the legislative process as well. Because these laws, like the ones we'll be talking about today, they're constantly being changed. And often by people who don't know much about the consequences of those laws as they are in practice in the courts. So I do a lot of work on trying to make laws better through the political system, through the judicial system, and how can we get back to that constitutional ideal where everybody's rights are being respected? So I do a little constitutional nonprofit, Spartacus Legal. I've run for office and participate in politics uh, on the Republican side of things as well. So. I think it's important to note that the party system is not doing so well as we look around us in 2016, so I think we should not assume political solutions are necessarily party solutions.
1: Well, and it sounds like you've taken a broad approach with identifying the issues you're seeing on a daily basis in the courtroom and with your clients and trying to find a broader, a kind of, Bring in the whole spectrum of let's fix this in the dialogue, the discussion, let's bring awareness, which is one of the things, especially when it comes to these IoT devices, that nobody knows what all is out there. Is that a fair summary of your approach to (laughs) these topics? I
2: think so. And before we even get into IoT and the Internet of Things, There are still a lot of courts around Georgia, around the country, that are still struggling to deal with text messages, Facebook accounts, sometimes even MySpace accounts, which all can have critical evidence in criminal prosecutions, but there's still a lot of questioning and unsureness about exactly how the fairest way to apply that evidence in court is.
1: And who would have thought that you're, uh, and people still do forget that your MySpace account uh, to date some of us, uh, that information, it's once you've put it out there, it's out there, correct?
2: Absolutely. Even if it's not posted publicly, it's still accessible if there is a search warrant, and the standard for getting a search warrant is pretty low that prosecution only has to show, the law enforcement officers only have to show that there's a, pro, a reasonable probability that evidence of some kind of crime will be uncovered. So we are routinely seeing law enforcement officers have access to people's Facebook page, other social media profiles, and certainly their text messages, anything they're sending on their cell phones.
1: Well, and do you find that the court system in both law enforcement as well as the judge's have a good grasp of how this technology works, or do you find you're having to educate them along the way?
2: I think now in 2016, we've made a lot of progress. Most people are familiar with smartphones. Most people are familiar with the way Facebook works, that you can post some things that are public, some things that are just for a specified group of friends, but there still is some confusion about what exactly a a Facebook post's audience might be, whether it is truly a a public page or whether it is something that is more akin to an email or a private message. So I think those debates are still going on, but we have gotten over that sort of initial hurdle that we were seeing several years ago where many people in the courtroom just were, were learning about social media platforms as we went.
1: So if, if we're just catching up with the Facebook and basically the information that you know you're putting out there, how steep a learning curve do you think it's going to be with the IOT and this other data and inf- the metadata, the that information that's getting leaked through our use of you know, online connected coffee makers?
2: I think we've got a long way to go. I personally have not seen any cases that have involved the Internet of Things yet, though, of course, uh, a lot of us have heard about the 2015 case that involved a woman in Pennsylvania who had made a claim of rape, and then data from her Fitbit device was actually used to prosecute her for making a false allegation. So while I've seen these cases and seen examples of them, I personally in Georgia have not dealt with any, any cases where someone's coffee maker or their Amazon Echo or their Fitbit has provided, has provided evidence that would be used in court.
1: You now, is this a topic that you bring up with your clients when you're meeting with them to kind of delve into? Is there something that could help or something? Or has that conversation really not worked its way into the defense yet?
2: It has not gotten much past the cell phone stage, at least in the cases I'm dealing with. And, of course, as a public defender, funding is always an issue. You know, it's not a a private attorney situation where we have unlimited money to pursue every available piece of data that might be relevant to the case. In large part, we are relying on the prosecution. We are relying on the state to get access to relevant information that will show locations of key people during the incidents that are being alleged. So we haven't gotten much past the cell phone, but there is a wealth of information available on a cell phone for proving someone's innocence in court. There's uh, GPS location information, there's cell power data, which a lot of people heard about on the serial podcast when that was used uh, in the prosecution of the, the young man there. So there's a lot of information that's out there, and we are still working on how to use that most effectively. But I certainly do advise clients who have been charged with something that they are trying to defend themselves against, that, that it is a, an inaccurate charge, to absolutely give us access to your cell phone. Let's look for anything that's date stamped, that's time stamped, that would allow a third party to come in and say, yes, according to the phone, this person was at this location at this time.
1: Well, and how prevalent are, I mean, I rarely go two feet without my cell phone in my hand or my laptop within reach. Do you find a lot of your clients that's the case with them, or do you struggle with that aspect of it?
2: Again, you do have uh, some issues with being a, a public defender. You are. Um more likely to represent individuals who don't necessarily have one smartphone that they are keeping with them at all times they might be using a family member's phone or might be using a series of prepaid phones so it is a, a little different than you know what what we might expect you know as a lawyer who's always carrying one device around it can be a little harder to keep track but in general most people are getting used to carrying a cell phone everywhere they go so it does provide a uh, a lot of information.
1: Well, and how expensive or, because you mentioned the cost is a factor in preparing defenses for particularly the clientele you're working with, but do you find that if the prosecutors haven't obtained that or even getting copies of the information that they have, is that expensive or is that really just budgeted into allocations you're permitted
0: Well,
2: I would say there is a lot of room to go. The prosecution does have access to much more than we do. And once the prosecution chooses to access cell phone records or GPS data, then usually we do get a copy of that. It's pretty rare that a prosecutor would violate the Brady Rule and actually withhold exculpatory evidence that's in their possession But one problem I've run into is if the prosecution doesn't think that a particular person's cell phone information will be helpful to the prosecution, they just won't get it at all. And then as a public defender who may be coming in later in the case, sometimes months or even years after the initial charge is made, we have a real hard time getting access to that information from the cell phone providers, from the Internet service providers, when it is fairly easy for the state to do that. So there is a, a little bit of an asymmetry there, and we are struggling on, on how to deal with that.
1: Well, that's fascinating to think of what we take for granted based on you know, watching law and order that is information that, of course, it's readily available and it's instantly available. And we're about to go into our first break, but I'd like to spend a few more minutes, uh, Catherine, if you can stay on the line when we come back, to look at that a little bit deeper. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz.
0: When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com.
2: Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy. Only on
3: America's Web Radio. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like.
1: Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not,
2: or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available
0: on the website at www.atlantahealingcenter.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. You're listening to
1: Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, and we're chatting with uh, Catherine Bernard. and Catherine, we were talking before the break about access to this information and some of the advice perhaps you have given clients. I mean, really, where do you see the cost shift going? I mean, is this something that budgets for public defenders and even criminal cases on the private side will need to just, account for, that we're going to have to have access to this information?
2: I think, yes, we are going to have to have access to the information, but I think this is pointing to a larger problem about over And I know your show just gets into such a, such a bunch of different topics that you don't have time to go into everything at once, but... Rather than simply looking at it as an issue of needing more funding, I think we have to look at: Are we sending our prosecutors and law enforcement after people who are actually a threat to public safety? We could save a lot of money if we didn't spend so much on investigating people over marijuana and Xanax.
1: Ah, well, indeed, you have hit the nail on the head in that so many fun topics, and when you raise, you raise a good point, and then on the flip side too. Are we becoming a nanny state and really because we can have access to this information some uh, in light of recent tragic events the comments are should we you know, should the government be looking closer at our communications and be it the data that we're sending or the metadata and certainly i I would love to have you back to talk on so as well, but just initial comments or thoughts on how do you address that balance?
2: Well, from the perspective from each and every individual, always assume that anything you are transmitting over your cell phone, over the internet, that someone else will be looking at it. Law enforcement has access to all of the major cell phone providers. They have special portals. So they can easily access call logs, uh, phone messages, voicemail content, just very easy access to text messages and anything else that's sent on a phone. So do keep that in mind uh, that really email text messages are, are not private. They're something that can be accessed by others. And again, if you do find yourself in a situation where you need to provide an alibi, don't count on the state to access that information for you. Under consultation with your lawyer, you will want to get copies of those records from your cell phone provider, from your internet service provider yourself, to show what you had actually been doing rather than what you had been accused of, uh, of doing. So those are those are two key pieces of advice. Assume that everything is public and assume that you will be responsible for having access to your own records.
1: Well, thank you. Those are certainly some good items to add to our Fix-It tool guide. And, Catherine, how can people find out more information about your justice projects? Is there a website they can go to?
2: Well, they can go to my law office's website. It's bernardlawoffices.com. And my nonprofit is Spartacus Legal, S-P-A-R-T-A-C-U-S, legal.org, although both of those are very much a work in progress. As an active trial attorney, my first duty is always to my clients who are depending on me, and they keep us pretty busy as public defenders. I'm frequently in trial, and the Bernard Law Offices and SpartacusLegal.org are the best places to check for information.
1: Well, thank you for taking time away. I know you had been in court this morning, and I'm sure you're heading back, so thanks for joining us this afternoon and sharing your thoughts on this, and hopefully we will have you back again uh, at another day, another time, to talk a little bit more about all these issues. But again, thanks to Catherine Bernard and you know, for joining us and your insights. And we're going to switch gears a little bit uh, now that we know that everyone is listening and law enforcement in particular can have access to this data and this information I want to shift to Rob Graham, and as someone who has really researched this from—I mean, gosh, how we don't want to talk about how many years—and uh, while I am not necessarily your attorney right now, I would advise careful what you're willing to share, Rob. Uh, 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 we may just have to give you uh, Catherine's number to if something goes wrong, but. Rob, when looking at all your, basically your devices as a snitch and giving it away, is there hope? I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week on the show with Chris Grayson and Drew Porter. and really they painted a dismal picture. Is it truly that bad, Rob?
3: It's truly that bad. Wow. Uh, Every device you have, and and Catherine's actually made it worse, um... (laughs) <laughs> well, she, she's, she's told me that's even worse than I thought because, um, the, as she said, the law enforcement has the ability to easily go after the companies and get any information you've shared with the companies that provide these devices and services, but you don't. That For you to get that data that's uh, exculpatory that will uh, prove your innocence is very hard for you, but for them to prove your guilt is easy for them. And so that's now scared me even more about all this whole problem.
1: Well, there you go. I mean, it if we've scared Rob Graham, we're in trouble. But now, Rob, some of the things that we're talking about, it really, how do you know that you're even transmitting it? I mean, do you just assume everything uh, is
0: out there?
3: If you buy an internet-enabled device for your home, it's pretty much uh, uh, always transmitting.
1: Well, and how do you know when and where? I mean, we talked a little bit about Wi-Fi sniffing, and both on the first show as well as last week. How do you know when... what what's out there and how do you know when someone is listening is that even possible to determine
3: well you can't tell if your 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 neighborhood 13 year old your neighbor's 13 year old kid is listening on your wi-fi it's it's pretty silent um because it's just they're listening um but there are a few things you can do um to protect yourself from from eavesdroppers um for example, um, use encryption on your Wi-Fi, or better yet, set up two different Wi-Fis. One for the protected stuff you care about, like your 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 laptop and your phone that uses your home Wi-Fi, and then one for all these myriad of devices that are probably insecure.
1: So, as we're adding to, and we call this the Fix It Show, we're creating a toolbox of ways to minimize. I like that idea. Creating Now, how expensive is it to create two separate networks?
3: It You go down to your local Best Buy, and for $20, you get another Wi-Fi access point.
1: Okay. And then do you kind of walk us through that a little bit? Because so, not everyone's as tech-savvy as you, Rob. And I. without my in-home tech support, I don't know that I could set that up.
3: So you would... The setup is pretty simple. You would just grab another access point and then just plug it into your existing access point with via the wire. And okay. then now you've got two access points with two different names and two different networks, essentially.
1: Excellent. So it's the kind of idiot proof that even Lawyer Liz can handle, it sounds like. Yes. Careful how you answer that <laughs> because I will point out I am wearing very sharp heels and due to the studio, we are, you are within striking range, Rob, just pointing that out. Not that I would ever harm a guest on the show. I thank you for your time.
3: So when your neighbor's kid then um, goes onto the Internet and visits these nefarious sites and downloads these tools and points them at you and tries to hack into your, let's say, your Phillips light bulb, which is hackable. Um, they can't get then easily from there to the rest of your network. They can't get to your laptop. They can't get to your your desktop computer, and they can't their their ability to, to, to hack you is now limited primarily to just make your lights go on and off.
1: So that sounds like a great point too. When I'm bringing my work home with me as an attorney, I'm working from my laptop. It sounds like creating that second access point where my Internet of Things devices from, and I forgot about light bulbs, but from my light bulbs to my coffee maker to my Nest system, that those aren't going to have the immediate access to my laptop, correct? Right. And two, with that, we're, are we seeing the devices from the Internet of Things? They're not very secure, are they? I mean, we've talked about that. No, they're horrible. So, when they're sending out information, will creating that second Wi-Fi access point also minimize what they can transmit about me and my other devices?
3: Well, so here's the next step is for protection is set up a separate email account like johnsmith123 at yahoo.com. Something that isn't even your own name, so that it looks like somebody else's name. Uh, Or it could be like HurricaneTornado at Yahoo.com. Something that's not your identity. And you use that for your coffee pot, your Philips light bulb, your Fitbit, or for all these devices. They don't need to actually know who you are. They sort of want an account created somewhere to, like, send information back and forth to servers so that you could, like, use your Amazon device in you know, one place and turn on, your, turn on your coffee pot in the other place. So you need to have an account, but it doesn't need to be your account. Giving someone your own email address, the one that you read every day to, a, to these companies, is, is a very foolish move.
1: But, Rob, they ask for my email address,
3: do you have only one email address? Is it necessary to have only one email address? We have this idea that our email addresses are our identity. But on the Internet, no one knows who you are. No one knows that you actually may have, be schizophrenic and have five identities. I've got at least five.
1: Excellent. Well, which identity is joining us today? Which email account should folks send questions to? Well,
3: that is actually Robert David robertdavidgrayam at yahoo.com
1: excellent but excellent. then that's
3: not the email like I trans I, I talk to you with I talk to you with a more private email account that's not, that's not public
1: so you're saying I should take that email account down from my buzz off of lawyer Liz uh, with questions contact Rob at uh, information
3: maybe well the, also the rob at ariaeccom is public
1: excellent well as we head into our next commercial break we're going to take up some other items to add to the toolbox on fixing it you're listening to buzz off with
0: lawyer liz affordable health insurance was the promise of obamacare but for many the government mandate caused more problems than it solved this is dr elena george from medicine on call and i want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under obamacare liberty health share Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars
1: with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on
3: AmericasWebRadio.com.
0: Watchdog is a term given
3: an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary,
0: Support USJF as they support you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, and
1: we're talking with Rob Graham from Erratus Security. And we've also got uh, Catherine Bernard on the line, an attorney who works in the criminal defense area. And one of the things we had been chatting about before the break rob was adding to our so first of all we had Catherine scare everyone reminding you that your devices are sharing all kinds of information and quite frankly law enforcement and those with deeper pockets than perhaps your public defender have access to that information so rob and giving us some tools to help fix. Well, okay, if everyone's going to have access to it, how do we minimize what's out there? You've suggested setting up a separate home Wi-Fi access point for your IoT devices. You've recommended creating a separate, uh, be it Gmail, Yahoo, Hotmail, or whatever email service provider, a separate account, and uh, I believe you're about to share with us uh, the list of accounts you have.
3: No, I wasn't going to do that.
1: No? Darn it. Rob, you're just too quick for me today. Well, what are some of the other things that uh, people can do to I mean, even your Wi-Fi access point in your car, And have you taken any steps to minimize what information your car is sharing about you and your driving, perhaps?
3: Well, I've, I've got one of these newer cars that sends all the information up to the car company all the time. So um, I, at this point, I'm, I, I have no solution to this problem.
1: So fascinating. If we now do we need, and Catherine, you may be able to share this, would we need a subpoena? How would we as an uninterested third party be able to access that information? Can we legally?
2: Legally, I don't think an uninterested third party would be able to. You would need a subpoena, some kind of court order, a search warrant, and as I mentioned before, you would need a probable cause standard for that. But if there's any kind of suggestion that the person driving the car was involved in any any kind of criminal activity, anything relating to a civil suit, that information is accessible, and black box information from cars is being used in a lot of insurance defense cases
1: now rob how would you go about protecting or showing that perhaps you had let someone else borrow your car is that something you can do or really at that point once it's your car that information it's out there
3: well the fact that your cell phone is going to have a different gps location than your car did does that's one way of showing that someone has borrowed your car um whether you know about them or not like your neighborhood kid gets in and steals it then 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 while well, your cell phone's still at home when they're off joyriding
1: well there you go and depending on the neighborhood i mean you do live in a rough neighborhood uh north of atlanta known as sandy springs i mean how often are have you worried about that do you take additional precautions to protect your your car's well data?
3: well one thing is is that your car um Mm, these modern cars are on the internet all the time. And so you've got the ability in your cell phone to say, Where's my car? My car is not in my driveway. Well, I can just shut it down remotely. And that's a feature that a lot of uh, cars are getting these days. So that you can, you know, y- you can protect yourself just by just by saying, Oh, the car is gone. I'll just immediately shut it down.
1: Rich, you raise an interesting point on that, is it? And not everyone perhaps is aware of, not only with your car, but your cell phone, your iPad, uh, all your different devices, a lot of them have built into them the ability to quote-unquote find my phone, find my device, which how easy is it for someone to mimic your, you know, steal your login credentials and basically track down where your device is through the internet or through a service provider.
3: Well, there's three ways that someone can steal your your login credentials. One of which is is that again, this problem that you people use the same email account for everything. When you go around the internet and log on to these various websites, you often use the same email address as your account name, and then the same password that you use everywhere. And so now you've used that password that you use like your Apple iPhone. You've used it on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn had that massive data breach of losing all their, their, their password database. So if you use the LinkedIn website, um, hackers now have your password that they can use to get into everything. So that's one way passwords get your, your, or the hackers get your password it's because you've reused the same password everywhere. By the way, the logical way to protect yourself is don't do that. And use a different password. I, I have a little notebook there I write down all the different passwords I create for all the different websites. They're all different. Um, secondly, the other way that that hackers get your your password is is they send you They send you phishing emails. Of what they're, they're called phishing emails. They pretend to be Apple and say, "Hey, you need to like log on right now to this website and fix something, or we're going to cancel your account." And it's Apple one two three at in Romania something and people will happily go there and enter in their login credentials and then of course the hacker steals them and logs into their real iphone account um the third way that people lose their um but by the way the easiest way to solve that is again is if you have a public email address that you give to everyone that's known and you have a private email address that you use for accounts like apple um people don't know your private account they can't send you phishing uh, attacks to the private email address. They'll send it to your public email address. You'll get them, in your, you know, Apple, oh, Apple says reset your password or something on your public account, and you know it's phishing because you know Apple doesn't have that email address.
1: Well, and it's important to note that when you're using the word or the terms public and private, those you're not using those in the legal context, for example. Right. You know, the, you're really more talking about Public being this is the email account you use for registrations or junk. Oh, if you're at the store and they're requesting it, you have a, sure, an ha- email
3: address. have an email address. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not going to be, yeah, it's full of all these advertisements for all the stores and hotels I've been to, but I don't care because, yeah, I don't, I don't care.
1: And then when you're talking about the private, that's going to be the one that you use for uh, essentially sc- Pre screened. That's the one you give to friends, family for more uh, direct communication. The ones where you
3: don't want to have to, you're going to read them all, you don't want all the spam.
1: Well, and Catherine, that raises an interesting point. Do you, when you're chatting with clients or uh, when the court, they're going through the criminal system, are you required to provide all of your email accounts information or is that something that, as a defense attorney, you want to have that information?
2: Sometimes that is information that is requested by law enforcement during an interview. So That is not something that there is any right to by law enforcement in a criminal prosecution. The Fifth Amendment does apply, and you are not obligated to provide any information that would be incriminating about yourself. But during a voluntary interview... That's very frequently something officers will ask about. Will you give us access to your Facebook page so we can confirm this? And often people with the best of intentions will provide that access and then they find that it is not being used to get to the truth, it's being used to fish for additional evidence of crimes. Are you saying always advocate
3: Are you saying that they can and and will use it against you?
1: Yes, absolutely.
3: Oh good gracious. That was a joke, of course. Well of course.
1: But and what happens? I mean I frequently from my armchair uh, you know, legal advice tell folks if you're pulled over for suspicion of driving out of the influence, don't agree to a field sobriety test because those it can be used or misleading that instead request, you know, the more concrete uh, hospital blood test at the hospital. Is that fair to say then, Catherine, that when if someone is being questioned, maybe not directly as a suspect, that you don't give them access to email accounts or social media or devices if given the option?
2: I would advise not giving the authorities access to that information until you've spoken with your lawyer. At that point the authorities have no obligation to be truthful with you. They can they can tell you things that are not true. They can tell you about evidence that, that doesn't exist or they can fail to mention evidence that does exist. So really you're in much better shape if you wait until you have the assistance of counsel to provide that information to law enforcement.
1: Well and Rob, it also so we've recommended for toolkit that you know create those separate wi-fi access points and create those separate email accounts and don't reuse your passwords but one question is let's go back to those wi-fi access points you don't have to name them perhaps elizabeth's condo wi-fi correct you can name your wi-fi access point anything within reason or can it really
3: no, it, it doesn't have to be within reason. You can say things like FBI surveillance van as your as your access point name.
1: Which brings up one of the other problems that or issues we talked about last week is your devices remember what access points you've previously logged into, and so you. One thing we briefly talked about with Chris and Drew is tell your device to forget which uh, Wi-Fi hotspots you've used. Is that something we should it, add to the toolkit?
3: It's good hygiene every so often to go through that list. Uh, you can do it on your iPhone or on your, your laptop. They you go through that list of all the access points because it remembers them and the password and um, delete the whole list.
1: Well, and, too, if you see an unsecured or a free Wi-Fi at a Starbucks uh I'm guessing your recommendation is absolutely take advantage of it.
3: Well, so here's the thing is um, it it takes knowledge. If if there's an unencrypted access point at at Starbucks, which there always is because that's what Starbucks provides, you're in danger. Some of the, the, the stuff that you use these days, like Facebook, they encrypt the connection so that you're actually safe using Facebook these days as long as you don't get tricked. You know how not to get tricked by someone pretending to be Facebook. Because someone can do that, and you'll get a warning saying, hey, the certificate's bad. And if you don't know what a certificate is, you might say, whatever, and continue, and then you've lost all your, then you've logged on and given the hacker your password to what looks like Facebook, but which really isn't. But um, you, you can use Starbucks safely, is my point. The other way of using Starbucks safely is with, with what's called a VPN service. There's lots of free VPN services. And with that, what VPN is... is It's called a virtual private network, which is kind of a bad acronym. But what it does is it creates an encrypted tunnel to uh, another site on the Internet from which then all the potentially unencrypted queries then originate from, which means that, yes, the NSA is maybe eavesdropping on you, but the local 13-year-old kid at the Starbucks is not eavesdropping on you.
1: So we're going to delve into the VPNs. I mean, it it sounds like a, a complicated game of telephone that breaks to not mass but put some additional layers so we're going to jump to a commercial break and hopefully you'll stick with us and when we get back we'll delve into these issues a little more you're listening to buzz off with lawyer liz
0: Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today.
3: America's Web Radio is the most diverse and informative radio station anywhere in cyberspace. We have shows about health, Business, current events, entertainment, home care, and everything in between. We appreciate your continued support of America's Web Radio. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix.
0: If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, dot com, the best in chat radio, designed just for you. So, welcome back, with, uh, welcome back with,
1: welcome back with Buzzoff with Lawyer Liz, and as we're talking about before the break, uh, to paraphrase slightly from Rob, there are ways to put some layers between you, your device, and the free internet access, uh, perhaps through Starbucks or other other places. And I called it a little bit of a game of telephone. Is that the children I,
3: Actually, uh, the way you describe it is actually potentially a bad way of describing it.
1: Okay. What's a better way?
3: Um, so what I see a lot of people do, when they think of it in terms of layers, they need to put many layers between me and the hacker, um, they do... They do lots of stupid things. They have no impact on security whatsoever, and they think they're doing a good job by doing it because you're sort of taught that it's a morally right thing to do to be concerned about security. So you think that every additional layer you add is benefiting you. And in all likelihood, it's not because what people will do is they'll do all these many layers of bad things that don't protect them and not do the one thing that they should have done to protect themselves.
1: So what is the one thing? The one for, for
3: example, on on wireless access points, using the WPA security is the one thing that you do that will protect you.
1: And what is that?
3: WPA security that's just the default security mode on, on today's Wi-Fi access points.
1: Well, and is that something that as a, sitting with my laptop in Starbucks, I can...
3: That's do- for your home Wi-Fi.
1: Okay. So, w-
3: so, w- so, but people will, for example, some other security features that Wi-Fi access points provide are to not publish that that name of the access point so that you have to t- actually type it in on your laptop. So it's not telling your neighbors that there's a no Wi-Fi access point there, so your neighbors don't see you and don't see your Wi-Fi network. And they think, well, that's an ad- additional layer of security. No, that's a bad thing to do. For one thing is it doesn't stop the teenager who's using these hacker tools from finding you. It's only, stopping the, it's only stopping the people who can't hack you, which is not really a very useful security thing. The other thing it does is now it forces your phone and your laptop to broadcast that name when otherwise it wouldn't have to in order to find you that means that when you're traveling with your phone your laptop people then know where who you are by the extra stuff it has to broadcast that would not otherwise have had so it makes you slightly less secure is my point
1: well one thing we had spoken on the last show and used as a good example of how your devices are ratting you out was the atlanta police department their patrol cars all are Wi-Fi enabled and have access points. And essentially, once you become with or once you come within a certain range, you can see that the car is there. That that access point is there, and it's using the patrol car number, so you can match what pops up on your you know device that's trying to connect as the number, and you see the patrol car nearby. You know, oh, okay, they're there. Is that something? So what you're saying is turning off that beacon, so to speak, that signal that broadcasts your network wouldn't apply or wouldn't be a good safety protocol in that scenario?
3: Well, it, it would be a bad thing to turn that off in your home. Your home's not moving around. So it's, it's not really a, a dangerous thing. Now, the Wi-Fi access point in your car is a different question. Some cars have Wi-Fi access points where you do have a name that's traveling around. But in those cases, what you would consider is just using a very generic name that's the same as everyone else. So if everyone else is driving around with their name Buick, then, sure, have Buick as your name, and they can't. no one can tell the difference between you and some other Buick. The issue with the police cars is that... um the they, they use the car. Every police car has a car ID, has a number associated with the car, and then they that's the the name of the access point. So not only can it be used to ident- identify them in general by saying "has it the same name that I see everywhere," it's I actually know which car that is.
1: So, is that a feature? I mean, on cars that do have that Wi-Fi access point, is that something that you can control? that go into your settings and rename that access point?
3: In some cars, yes. In some cars, I don't know.
1: So it it raises the issue then that if it's not something that you have control over, will the car manufacturers themselves, by taking that settings control away from you, then become liable or responsible if something happens and you're able to identify, well, they knew it was me because they saw my car Wi-Fi access point and I don't have control over that. That's something the car manufacturer has control over. So I wonder, Catherine, if you want to have any thoughts on the liability issues, but also, Rob, from your perspective as both the researcher and the end user. Rob, what are your thoughts?
3: Well, um, for you, you're, you're, you're kind of hosed. Um, a, a good example is the um, recent issue with Mitsubishi where they had a, a security problem in their car and they, a researcher notified them of that. What the security problem was is they could go through the Wi-Fi and then disable the alarm and the locks. And so they could steal your car pretty easily through the Wi-Fi. But well, the, the Wi-Fi is one step that would then allow them to, to then do the normal car stealing process. Um, but the uh, there's no way to disable that. There's no way to configure reconfigure that as a customer. So your only option was to just turn off Wi Fi completely, turn up to disable that feature from the car, because Mitsubishi is not going to fix that for you.
1: Well then it it still raises that issue of does a does Mitsubishi avoid liability or minimize their liability by saying, well we permitted it or it was a feature that we let our Customers or users modify. You chose not to modify it, so therefore, it's on you.
3: Sure, why not? The <laughs> car companies get so much blame these days for every little thing. Like old people get confused with what's the brake and what's the the gas pedal, and then Toyota spends you know billions of dollars on an issue that doesn't exist about you know uh, sudden acceleration. So they get they they're liable for all sorts of stuff that is not actually their problem. And so I'm actually not going to beat them up for it.
1: No, but would you make the recommendation for someone to go into their settings uh, if that is a feature that has been enabled and change the access point perhaps away from be it your license plate number or whatever identifier? Right. So uh, uh, oftentimes
3: it's, it's a unique number that's assigned to the car and you, and you don't want that. You probably want to have the, a generic name. Excellent. Like, like just call it Starbucks or ATT Wi Fi or something like that and have fun.
1: Well, there you go. When I see Starbucks and ATT Wi-Fi passing me on the interstate, I will know that you were nearby and consider that a little wave, so to speak. (laughs) Ah, that was Rob saying hello. Well, what else can I do to protect the, the metadata itself? Really, is there anything I can do to minimize what that is other than some of the broader things we talked about today is—is is, is there specific issues? Because I know my, so I've secured my network in the sense of I've created that separate network. I've got—I'm sending my emails through encrypted uh, sites and doing that, but that metadata is still there. Is there something that I can further I can do to protect or uh, minimize that metadata—the information on the outside of the envelope, so to speak?
3: Well, um for, for Wi-Fi, uh, all your devices have this 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 12 um, digit number that's associated with all the hardware, the hardware ID. and um, for your laptops and your desktops and stuff, you can change that to anything you want. and that's what I do so that they can't actually know even what hardware I'm running. Um, you, that doesn't work for the iPhone. Because you don't have that as much control over the iPhone as you do other computer devices, but now uh, manufacturers are making that actually the default. So every time you turn on your iPhone, y- your iPhone it actually creates a random hardware ID. So it can no longer be that metadata can no longer be used to track you.
1: Now, changing that ID number is that fairly simple? Someone could Google how to do it.
3: Yeah. So uh, yeah, if you Google it, you might even find my blog posts that describe how to do it.
1: And if you haven't, if any of the listeners have not had an opportunity, I highly recommend...
3: You don't. don't. I
1: do. Eratasek.com. Errat- Blogspot? Is that how they would reach it?
3: or com?
1: So com are Rob's and... Dave Maynard, as well as I have been honored to, they've humored me and allowed me to post some insights and thoughts, but I recommend taking a look at it and seeing some of the information because Rob does a great job of breaking down some of these issues and giving his insights, sometimes in a technical manner, but often really being able to translate it into non-geek speak, so you're saying they should look up your blog post on this topic?
3: I'm saying that if you Google it, how to change my MAC address, you might come across my blog post.
1: Excellent. Well, there you go. And in addition to taking some of those basic precautions and Googling how to change my MAC MAC address, what is there anything else I can do for the metadata?
3: Sometimes you can't. Like your email metadata, you, you really can't change. And so law enforcement, when they go and you know, subpoena Google or Gmail or Yahoo Mail, whoever your email provider is, they're going to get all that data. And by the way, that data is at a different standard for, for legal stuff so that they can get that metadata not not even with probable cause. They can just go and say, you know, this is third-party data, and they can get that metadata without actually having probable cause of they suspect of a crime. And that's a bad thing. So that's out there and available to them.
1: Well, that's one of the issues that is pending. There's legislation pending before Congress that would change some of that and address it. So we've touched on a lot of different topics with fixing and adding to your toolbox of how to protect yourself from the data leaking on Internet of Things. I'd like to thank Rob Graham and Catherine Bernard for joining us. I'd like to thank Hall Booth-Smith america's web radio you can find buzz off with lawyer liz online follow me on twitter at lawyer liz and look forward to the next show until then
0: enjoy this is america's the best in chat radio designed just for you